please be aware of that and be aware that the roundtable isn't going away permanently just uh, for a few weeks. With that being said, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9 tonight. We're going to start reading in verse 1 and go through verse 6 with our first section. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise in their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. All right, Ben, would you like to get us started with this section tonight? Sure. Uh, you know, we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes, which is this investigation of life that Solomon has partaken in. He's been investigating life under the sun, and he has found this to be vanity, that to be vanity, and he continues his investigation of life tonight. But I want to notice the first part of verse 1 of this chapter and just stop right there and provide some thoughts for us. It says, For I considered all this in my heart so that I could declare it all. Let's just stop right there for a moment. This investigation of life, this looking at all of the vanity therein and all the things that he had experienced in his life, it wasn't just for his ego. It wasn't just for kicks, it wasn't for fun, it wasn't for his own vanity, of course. Solomon is, and he outright says here, that he has considered all of this, he has done this investigation, this examination of life, so that he might declare it all. Declare it to who? You know, I know the text continues to say in that verse 1 there, what he might declare, but let's just stop right there and look at that beginning of that verse in the context of the whole book. Who is he declaring it to? He's declaring it to the assembly of Israel, the ecclesia of Israel, the congregation of Israel. Each of us, just like Solomon, have been through this life under the sun. Each of us have experienced challenges. Some of us have been challenged more than others. Some of us have battled illnesses. Some of us have defeated maybe this sin that clung so closely to us that we have defeated those demons from our past. Some of us have lost loved ones too early in life. Whether you're one of these people or something else, all of us have experienced what life is like under the sun that Solomon is talking about in this book. The question is, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with the experiences that we have gone through? 
Solomon says that he has examined life, he has done this investigation, he has considered it for the purposes of declaring it to all, the assembly of Israel. What are we doing with our experiences and the things that we have overcome in our life? Are we simply, you know, we got our head down and we're simply just trucking forward till we can make it to heaven's gates? There's definitely a need for us to keep our eyes on the prize. There's definitely a need for us to focus on what really matters. But are we simply going through this life and not looking to the left and to the right, to the people around us, going through the exact same struggle? Because one thing, one major thing we can learn from the book of Ecclesiastes is this older, wiser preacher talking to this younger assembly. And he's doing his best job possible to warn them. But not only to warn them, but to inform them of what actually matters in this life. Because he's been through it before and he knows what he's talking about. You know, it could very well be the case that tonight as you glance around this auditorium, you're at home as you look at those who are surrounding you at home, as you look at the faces of the people around you tonight, that those very same people are navigating the exact same storm of life that you either just got out of or are currently still in. As you look around and you see the people you see wearing all the coats and ties and all the nice dresses and all the great things that they come to church dressed up as, it could very well be the case that the people around you are struggling with the same storm of life that you're going on with right now. The text says Solomon declared it all. And I believe he did that so that others would not fall in the exact same manner that he did. I think it could be a lesson to us tonight that as followers of God, that if each of us would just be to others what we needed when we were in that storm, how much better would the church be? How much better would the world be if we would just do that? Because as we know, there are those who are in the eye of the storm. Who are simply getting through life and they do not know how they're going to get on the other side. But if we use the experiences, the challenges, the, the, the triumphs, the victories, and the defeats to help one another walk hand in hand together, we can be that threefold cord that he talked about a few chapters ago in this very book. And so then what follows in that one verse is, in the next few verses, excuse me, is what has been a theme throughout the book time and time again throughout Ecclesiastes. Solomon has been grieving the truth, the fundamental truth, the worldwide universal truth that bad things happen to good people and that good things happen to bad people. We've talked about this week after week and there seems to be no rhyme or reason when it comes to what Solomon has investigated. But this time he provides this glimmer of hope that he might not have done before. This time there is a silver lining that he provides for those who he says whose works are in the hand of God. Look at verse 4 with me. It says, But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better 
than a dead lion. You know, going through this text, you may not have read this before, you never thought about this before, you're thinking, what in the world are you talking about, Solomon? A dead lion is worse off than a living dog. Uh, I don't really want to be a dog. I don't want to be a dead lion. I don't understand what you're talking about. But what he's saying is that although the righteous suffer physical death, the same as evil people suffer physical death, that does not mean that they're equal. The righteous are not equal with the evil, and the evil are not equal with the righteous, even though they suffer the same end in this world under the sun. On the contrary, there is something significantly greater about the righteous. It says, him who is joined to the living has hope. If you've been in the church any amount of time or you've been studying the Bible, when we look at the word hope in the Bible, we understand that it's a combination of two things. First of all, it is a desire. It's a desire. It's something that we long for. It's something that we desire to the point that we want it so bad. But it's not just desire. It's the combination of desire and expectation. We expect to get our desire when it comes to biblical hope and the hope that we have in heaven. So when we say, you know, when someone passes on, we hope to see him again one day. That's not a cold statement. That's not just us saying, well, we hope he made it. We both desire to see them again and we expect to see them again. And so as Christians, as followers of God, verse 4, he's saying, him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. There is both the desire of something after this life and the expectation of something after this life. We have the desire of heaven combined with the expectation of inheriting heaven if we are righteous. You know, from the world's perspective, we look at a, at a lion, right? We look at a lion as one of the most powerful animals in all the animal kingdom, right? They're the, the king of the jungle. You look at lions. We see them as something to fear. We see them as powerful. We, we, we see them and get all the headlines and all the spotlight. But we as humans can also become like a lion when it comes to our fame and our power and, 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 and our influence. And what Solomon is saying is, I'd rather be a living dog than a dead lion. I'd rather be lesser than, in the eyes of the world, than to be this lion that's just dead with nothing coming after it. And how amazing is it that Solomon, who is one of the most powerful men to have ever lived, a lion of lions, you might say, is saying this in this text that he would rather be a living dog who has a hope of something coming after it than a worthless carcass of a lion who used to be something. Those are some of my thoughts as we enter into the text tonight. I think um, here we need to re remind ourselves the basic thought of, the, of Solomon. And the, one of the basic thoughts that he has 
uh, is that no one knows God's way. No one knows what will happen after death. Uh, for example, chapter 6, the, verse, uh, the, the last verse says it, and um, also uh, chapter 8, last verse says that. We don't know. No one knows. Even the wise doesn't know uh, what will happen after death. And in continuation with the thought, Solomon in chapter 9 in the first section says that um, because we don't know, uh, we have to be very careful. And very interestingly, uh, Solomon illustrates a couple of things. And those things are some uh, religious things like sacrifice, righteousness, and cleanliness, uncleanness, and, uh, and swear to God, things like that. And those things are not necessarily uh, making people uh, have hope after death, even though they may think that they do those things uh, they will be okay after death. But Solomon is giving a warning that even though you do those things, it does not guarantee that you will be great after death. I think that is the uh, great idea that uh, we have to understand, even regarding our religious life, regarding our righteous life. And that's what Jesus taught in uh, Matthew chapter 6. When you do your righteousness, you have to be careful. Uh, chap uh, chapter 6, verse 1, I am rephrasing it. Uh, so there were some people who thought they would be okay after death because they were doing some religious and uh, uh, ritualistic things which they think uh, uh, that comprise the righteousness of God. But Jesus pointed out that, no, uh, the thing that will make sure that you will be okay with God is just doing the will of God. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, not everybody who calls the Lord, I mean, of course, Lord, the Lord will not, uh, will go into heaven, something like that. But only those who do the will of God. So I think uh, Solomon's idea here is exactly uh, in line with Jesus' teaching. Even though we do uh, some things uh, seeming righteous or seeming good in our eyes, but in God's eyes, uh, it will not be good, great. So uh, that is the kind of uh, raising a question. I mean, they, that is a warning uh, for us to raise a question about ourselves, how we are doing. And in the next section, uh, he is giving us, next section and the next section, he is giving us answer. One other thing I would like to point out here in the first section is that before death and after death, Solomon is contrasting uh, something. 
And before that, we have the opportunity to change our eternal fate. But after that, the fate is fixed. So it is unchangeable. So what Solomon is really emphasizing in the latter part of this section is that after death, there is no, uh, no change. There can be no change of our, uh, to our eternal fate. That's why the before death, our life under the sun is important. How we live will determine what we will get from God after death. I read something the other day uh, that I think could apply to this context. I'd like to point out I read it. did not listen to it in a podcast. Um, it's called the, the shopping cart theory of morality, or as, from Alabama, as I would call it, the buggy theory. Um, and that is you can judge somebody's moral uh, character, the moral fiber of them, by whether they return a buggy or a shopping cart to where it should go. And you can judge that um, based on the fact that there's really no, there, there's no risk on that. If, you're, if, if I'm leaving Walmart and it's raining, it's cold, and I've got my buggy full of stuff, and I, I push my cart and unload and everything, if I just leave it right there, is there really any big consequence for me? No, not at all. If I go out of my way, though, and return the buggy, is there any really big reward for me? No. The reason I would, I'd like, I do, um, the reason I would return the buggy is out of the goodness of your heart, right? Because that's the right thing to do. And so the, the premise of this theory is you can judge somebody's morality because this, there's no risk, there's no consequence, there's no reward. It's just the right thing to do. And how I believe this applies to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 through 6 is, we've got to understand the premise that Solomon is getting at here in verses 1 through 6. Once again, we are faced with a passage that if we don't, we, if we don't understand the context or the idea that's driving what Solomon is saying here, this is a pretty depressing text. I read uh, verse 2, uh, the bottom of it, As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, swearer is so is the one who is afraid to swear. You read that and... You know, the obvious question comes to, then what's the point? What is the point of returning that cart? What's the, report, the, what's the point of living a, a difficult but good life or living an easy and maybe taking advantage of other people type life? You know, what's the point of all this if, the top of verse 2, it is the same for all? You read this, and without understanding the context, I think we can get really caught up in, um, this can drive you down a pretty, you know, bad way. I think what's important to remember is we've got to see that Solomon, he, he is speaking to the point of if, this is the case if, death is the end all be all. If there is nothing after death, then what's the point? If when you apply this, this thinking to the under the sun mentality that there is nothing after this life, there is no reward that you're working to, look at the bottom of verse 5. Uh, the, the whole verse of verse 5, For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. I think one of the, the bigger points of uh, this section, verse 1 through 6, is the idea that Solomon is driving home, there is no point in this life if it ends at death. There is no reason to continue, there is no reason to strive if this is it. He even says this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. 
I think that would be important for us to remember when we're dealing with people in our everyday lives, with, with our family members, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our schoolmates, whoever it may be. I feel like this makes sense to people, why people would act certain ways. I can understand why someone would maybe take an easier route or when they would give up when it's difficult or if this is it for them. If this is all that they have, that this life is all there is to, you know, to, to, to revel in, to enjoy, and I need to make the most of what it is right here, then that explains why the world is the way it is. That explains why our leaders act the way they do and the people in our, in our, in our surroundings respond the way that they do. If this is it, because what's the point? But there's more than that. And so I think that's something I take away from this, is that I need to remember that when Solomon is, is explaining verses 1 through 6, he's making this under the idea that death is the end-all, be-all. And so this is the point he's driven to. And so I need to remember that when I'm working with people that might be, or I'm talking and we're dealing with people, that this, this might be the same mindset that they carry as well. Well, much of what they said is what I was going to say, so I'm just going to move us forward into the next section of chapter 9. So look at verse 7 through 10 with me. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Now I find verse 7 very interesting. Because taken out of context, you could look at the last <coughs> statement in that verse where it says, God has already approved what you do. You could, you could take that as a statement that, Everything is free game, that you can do nothing wrong, that God has approved any and everything that you have a desire to do, and obviously that's not true. But consider for a moment that the statement about God approving what you do follows a repeated instruction throughout Ecclesiastes about eating your bread with joy and drinking with a merry heart. You can go back to chapter 3 and verse 13 where where Solomon said everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. There is this repetition throughout Ecclesiastes of, of Solomon saying, hey, we should enjoy this life. I think that's ultimately the message he's trying to convey in this section as he gives instructions about go eat and drink, go enjoy life with your wife, whatever your hand finds to do, do it. I think he's trying to communicate to us that as God's people, life was meant to be enjoyable. So I think about John chapter 10 and verse 10 where Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it what? Abundantly. Do we view life as something that, that, that we should have in abundance. And I don't believe Jesus was just talking about the life to come, though certainly he was. I think Jesus intended for us to be able to enjoy this life. Or I think about um, something said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 
uh, where there's these instructions to uh, the rich about how they should use their money. And there's a statement in the midst of, of all that that says, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. That God provides us with what we have for the purpose of experiencing joy. Now, that's not the sole purpose, but that is one, uh, one part of it. And so when I look here at chapter 9, verse 7, and you have these instructions that uh, end with saying God has already approved what you do, I think the difference here is that Solomon is transitioning from that under-the-sun mentality to that above-the-sun mentality. Because you have to remember that in chapter, that, that Solomon has been doing this contrast about the way things are viewed under the sun versus how they should be viewed with an above-the-sun mentality. And back in chapter 8, in verse 12, there is a statement that it will be well with those who fear God. You see, in the second half of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has really been placing an emphasis on fearing God. He mentions it in chapter 5 and verse 7. He mentions it in chapter 7, verse 18, and then again here in chapter 8 and verse 12. It will be well with those who fear God. I think the framework we have to have when we get to these instructions in verses 7 through 10 is an understanding that you can't enjoy life, you can't enjoy these things, <clears throat> excuse me, unless you're fearing God. And that's the, the basis for being able to find joy in life. That's the basis for being able to have an abundant life. That's the basis of these instructions. I like the way uh, one, one commentator said it. Every person should choose to live life to the fullest, since this is the only opportunity each will receive. But living life to the fullest means living life in the context of fearing God and finding joy in life through what He brings to the table. So, as we look at these, these imperatives that appear here in verses 7 through 10, I think they're trying to challenge us to understand that following God isn't just about, about a dull life, a boring life, but that following God is a life that can include joy and can be rich in many different ways. And so that's the observation that I took away from these verses initially. What about you guys? You know, verse 10 obviously jumps out to me because I was told it so many times growing up. You know, the text starts by saying, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. You know, I can't tell you how many times my parents told me this phrase growing up. I didn't even know it was in the Bible until many years later. I just thought it was something that they just said. Whatever your hands find to do, do with all your might. Working with my dad, doing electric work or working on the farm with my dad and working in the house, doing chores with my mom. Son, whatever your hands find to do, do with all your might. This text reminds me of what the New Testament has to say about the same thing. Uh, Paul said it in Colossians 3 and verse 17. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then later on in that same chapter, in verse 23, he says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. You know, I have to be honest, it took me a long time to learn this lesson, and to be even more honest tonight, I think I have to admit that this is a lifelong lesson, that we should all still be in the pursuit of doing. 
No one has gotten to the point that every single thing they do, they do it unto the Lord. Many times we do things for ourselves. Many times we do things for our spouse, for our friend, for work, for not every single move that we make. We tend to forget sometimes that we are working as unto the Lord and not unto men. We're all in the process of learning how to do this, how to live up to this text, I believe. But what we have to realize is that I think the message of this, these texts, and this is what my dad tried to drill into me as a, at a young age, if our name is on it, if you are attached to this, if your name is affiliated with it, then it better have been done to the best of your ability. And that's the lesson my father tried to teach me so many times. And so many times I didn't understand it. But as I got older and as we all get older, we begin to understand why this is the case. And then I had an internship with Jeremy Pate, and he taught me that this is not just physical labor. This comes to ministry as well. Whatever your hands find to do in ministry, do it with all your might. And so I learned, whatever I do, if my name is attached to it, if my name is affiliated with it, I cannot... Let it flop. I cannot let it not be the greatest I can make it to be. Now, that's not that great. I understand that. I'm limited. I'm not Jeremy. We all know that. But I learned from my father, from Jeremy, from other mentors in my life what this means. Practiced in real life. It means that no matter what we do, in word or in deed, in physical labor or spiritual labor, to do it with all of our might because that is what Jesus would have done. You know, Solomon is making a plea to the assembly of Israel the same way Paul is making a plea to the assembly of the body of Christ. That if you are not working with all of your might, if you're not doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus, if you are not working heartily as unto the Lord, then you are not emulating the example Christ gave. Because we read about the life of Christ, we see throughout the Gospels how Jesus conducted Himself. Every single thing He did, He gave His entire self into it. All of His energy, all of His power, everything He did, we learned this morning, even at a wedding, He was doing all He could do to bring glory to God. Christ ultimately put every single ounce of himself into every single thing he did on this earth. Because as Solomon said over and over again, throughout this book we've been studying that work is the gift of God. If we've been given work to do, no matter what work that is, it is the gift of God. And therefore, how ridiculous, how embarrassing is it what does it say about us when we've been given the gift of work and have squandered it and have squandered the chance to glorify Him through our work? And I think what we all have to learn is instead of looking, as it, instead of looking at it as if since my name, Ben Hogan, is attached to this, it cannot flop. It cannot be less than my best. 
we have to start looking at it as if it's since I wear the name of Christ, I can't let this not be the best it can be. No matter what realm of life it is. Since I wear the name of Christ and I am a Christian, I cannot let this or that go by the wayside. Because since I wear the name of Christ, I have to do what Christ did. And as we know, He did everything, no matter what His hands found to do, with all of His might. So when we look at this text, whatever your hands find to do with all, do it with all your might. I hope that that could be a takeaway tonight as we go out into every day of our life. That we wear the name of Christ and that therefore we need to emulate Him in the way that He worked every single day of His life. I, uh, I have a different view of this section than I believe um, that's been presented so far, so maybe this is the first time we've disagreed on the, this is the round table. My heart is pumping, I'm really nervous right now. Um, I see this as still compared to under the sun mentality. When, how I read verse 7 through 10 is very much still attached to 4 through 6, because to me it seems like all of chapter 9 so far, Solomon is saying, um, when, you, when, when death is it, when death is the end-all, be-all, you know, then, then what's the point, like I said from my, my previous point, uh, as the good man is, so is the sinner, as a swearer is, so is the one who's afraid to swear. So he's driving home to the point, there's no point in this life if we all share the same destiny, and the same, we all are going to a common death, and we're all sharing the same death, destiny, because in this mindset... Solomon's saying there's nothing in death. There's no reward in death. There's nothing after death, verses 5 through 6. Therefore, since this mindset mentality that death is all there is to, you know, for, for us to live, therefore, go find, you know, find happiness in eating. Drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Uh, let your clothes be white all the time. Let oil be lacking on your head. To, to me, how I read verses 7 through 10 is, because there's no purpose in this life, because de death comes for us all and there's no reward in death, then just try to have a good time. Make your vain life a little bit better. If you look at the, uh, the end of verse, or middle part, or just read verse 9. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your meaningless or your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is it. This is your reward in life, in your toil in which you have labored under the, under the sun. So I don't disagree with Kyle, your, your, your thought of coming that we need to find joy in these things. That this, and I definitely don't disagree with the, uh, the, the mindset that you brought from, from verse 10 or the thought that it comes from Colossians 3.23. I just see this as a different thought than the one Paul brought. Still a very accurate one, not, not an incorrect one. I think I just see it differently in the sense that maybe this is just straight heresy, so I apologize. But... In context, I see 7 through 10 very much still driving home. There, if there's no purpose in this life because we're all going to die and there's no point in death because there's no reward in it, therefore, therefore find joy in these simple things. Find happiness in the things that bring you temporary because this is just the days of your fleeting life. So, y'all can grill. Y'all can, you know, y'all can come attack me now. I don't know. Maybe, like I said, this is just how I saw this. I'm going to stop talking. Mm -hmm.
Don't work hard. Yeah, don't. I, that's how. That's what I. That's what I believe. Do not work hard. No, yeah. what I'm saying is, work hardly for the Lord. Whatever your hand, whatever your hand finds, do it with all your might. That 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 still stands true. I'm not debating that. It's just in this context, I think it's saying, find joy in what you're doing because this is it. And that's still a great point. Find joy in what you're doing. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. We still should be finding joy from that. So nothing goes against that, that, that mindset. But I think the reason he is saying that is because, because this is all, this, that's all you can get is joy. You know, you know, the way I see what you're saying is when it comes to, you know, we already talked about verse 4 about those who are attached to the living, there is hope. Uh, verse 3, those uh, who are of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their heart. While they live, after, they, after that, they go to the dead. So you have these two different people. You have those who are of the living, of the righteous, and you have those who are evil and of madness. And everything that they do, verse 4, they're just the dead lion. They're not the living dog. And so we go all throughout the text is, I think what we could take away from this passage is, no matter what we do, if we are of the righteous, if we are of the living, then there's meaning behind it. Then we can take joy. We can take time to eat and drink and be merry because life under the sun is useless. When it comes to our work, we can take joy in our work because we know our work isn't simply just going to burn up one day. The work that we engage in as followers of God is eternal in its nature. And so yes, we can work whatever our hands find to do, do with all our might because every single thing that we do is leaving the example behind for others to see of the light, of the salt, of the city on the hill that Christians are supposed to be. So when it comes to those who are unrighteous and evil and of madness and are simply going, uh, have no hope at when they go to the dead, verse 3, I would say that that's absolutely true. That all of this is just meaningless. All of this is just, that's your reward in this life. That's your portion in this life. If you are of the dead, if you are of the dead lion, then absolutely. But if you are of the righteous, you can live joyfully. And whatever your hands find to do, it has a reason behind it. And therefore, since it does have an eternal reason, we can do it with all our might. Okay. Yes, I agree with that. Amen. I just think we see it a tad differently. We're on the same page. Different book. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wish I can be a peacemaker here. Oh, Mingyu, make it happen. Uh, I think uh, we have to pay due attention to a word in this section. Uh, verse 7, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments and, uh, on your head and especially... Uh, in verse 9, at the end of that verse, it says, uh, that is your portion in life and in your, toil, in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So the basic idea that Solomon has in mind is that we got to know what is ours, what is our portion. 
And also, it furthers our mind that God already gave us the idea that we can find what is our portion. What is our portion? What is ours? So we, we should not steal others. And we should not uh, try to get more than we deserve. We know that. You know, if we try too hard, then the life will be hard. But if we try less hard than we have to, then life will be not so interesting or excited or exciting or, you know, uh, full. So we have to know the full. I mean, the fullness of our life. And what is the full portion that we deserve? And uh, uh, rather than that, uh, the portion that God wants, wants us to have in our lives under the sun. So only the verse 7, though, even if it is very plain, easy verse, it already concludes, I mean, includes the value judgment, the God's will. So your uh, means we have to know what is ours, and God gives us the idea, I mean, the wisdom that we can get that idea of ours, what is our portion, and if we try to get our portion fully, then our life will be in line with what God wants us to believe. So I agree with what Ben said and uh, also what Jay said. I, I, I get those points and even uh, what Carl said. But what we really, uh, I think, uh, what the author really wants us to understand is that our life is the life that God already uh, allotted to us in some certain portions to each one, with some talents, with some, uh, you know, better abilities, capabilities, and whatever. So we have to figure out what our portion is, and we have to do our best to make the most of our portion. And also, we should not go too much further, uh, you know, exploiting ourselves, making too tired of ourselves. But we have to be able to enjoy doing our portion with all our might. That's yeah. right. All right, before we confuse you any more on this passage, let's turn to verse 11 and finish the chapter out through verse 18. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. 
Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. We don't have much time, so I'm going to encourage all of us to try to hit this passage with something quick. My quick thought actually has to do with verse 11. It's interesting to me because I think Solomon here points out that, our, that mankind's pursuit of control is a flawed pursuit. See, if anybody was in the position to control life, it was Solomon. He had power, he had fame, he had wisdom, he had money, he had resources, but he couldn't control everything. He ends up saying that time and chance happen to everyone. Time and chance prevent us from exerting control really on anything. And, and as a result, the fastest doesn't always win the race, the strongest doesn't always win the battle, and the most intelligent doesn't always reap the reward. And so it, it's as if he's trying to teach us that, that life is not tameable by us. And it's foolish to try to be in control of everything. And maybe that's why Genesis 1-1 is so important that the first four words of the Bible were, In the beginning, God as if to reveal to us from the get-go that we're not in charge. He is. We can't control anything, but God can. So when I see verse 11, that's what I'm reminded of. I'll go next. Um, I think continuing, to me, the main point of chapter 9, it continues in verse 11, the fact that this makes... This life makes no sense if you view it under the sun. If you view it through, through the lens of under the sun and death um, is the, the, the great equalizer between all men. Because verse 11, for the reason he gives, um, life would make sense if the fastest always won the race. Life would make sense if the strongest always won the battles. But that's not the case. Life doesn't make sense. Um, he'll get to the, te- the two big factors of time and chance to overtake them all. And I think right along with what Kyle said is that we cannot control it. And so I think that goes along with verses 7 through 11, 1 through 6, the fact that death, um, when, you, when you view that there is nothing past death, that um, there is no purpose in life, and the best thing for you can do is to enjoy what you can and uh, find joy in that. Obviously, we know that there's something more than death, and there's a reward after death. And so this mentality is not something being encouraged to us, but something explained to us. Um, and then verses 12 through 18, he kind of swaps back, or 13 through 18, to me, he, he swaps back or continues into, therefore, you know, the, the importance and the, uh, the severity of seeking wisdom. One thing I'd like to quickly note before I, I wrap up is just that last line, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. I think that's an interesting thing to point out that we, you can accomplish a lot with wisdom. You can, do, you can build and maintain, and you can create a lot of, of order, a lot of good, a lot of joy with wisdom. You're going to find a lot more joy in, 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 that, in that wisdom, maybe more than anything else, but one sinner destroys much good. I think you could almost shorten that to say one sin destroys much good as well. 
We don't need to um, diminish or overlook a small sin in our life. Or when we look around in our circle, our social circles or the people that we spend our time with, when we overlook one person who possibly is that sinner. Not that we should only be spending time with those that aren't sinners because then you wouldn't be able to spend time with yourself. But I think we need to be mindful of the fact of how serious and the serious nature we should take sin in our own life, but also sinners in our midst and those that can have influence on us. Uh, I think verse 17, I mean, the illustration gives, uh, makes the point. And uh, in the illustration, after the illustration, Solomon makes the conclusion of this section. Uh, I think so it is important to understand verse 17. Uh, the words of the wise heard in choir are better than the uh, shouting of a ruler among fools. So uh, what we, un- we got to understand here is that uh, whether it is uh, wisdom that leads us to eternal life is not uh, if uh, it's not if it is heard by people or not, it is if the wisdom is heard by God or not. So the wisdom that is heard and approved by God is the true wisdom. The poor man who was wise and saved the city was not heard by many people, but his wisdom was heard by God, and God saved the city. So that matters. So we got to have that mindset that, you know, we should not wise to our eyes or to people's eyes. We should be trying to be wise to God's eyes. Yeah, it's funny, y'all, cover verse 11, we're going to cover verse 17, because I felt 17 was powerful too. You know, coming from someone who has loudly spoken, uh, this was quite uh, interesting to read. Um, But I think it's very important for us to understand this message, is we don't have to be the loudest, we don't have to have the microphone, we don't have to have the spotlight to impact the world when it comes to our wisdom. In fact, in life, it's often that person who never speaks. When they finally speak up, it's time to listen. You know, in our context with the staff, I think about, you know, we got me, you know, we got Kyle, we got Jay, Mingu, you know, Becky, and then Carol. You know, Carol Bryan is such a rock for our staff. And so many times our staff meetings, our devotionals, and all these things, she may not say something. But when she does say something, it's, all, it's time to listen. Because it's always good. It's always a game changer, for me at least. Maybe that's the case for all of you. I know Pam's smiling back there because she knows exactly what I'm talking about. If you know Carol, if you know people like that, that you know, they don't really get the headline, they don't get the spotlight that others do, you may not think all, you know, automatically of them, but when they speak, it just carries a different weight. And I think the message for us tonight is, when it comes to our life, 
chapter 8 and verse 1 says, our wisdom should be something that makes our face shine. But not only that, in our text, when we speak, people around us should be wanting to hear what we're going to say. Not because we're something special, but because of the wisdom that we as followers of God have, because we are different. Not only should our face shine, but others should be listening intently at to what we have to say, because what we have to say is worth listening to. And like so many people have said, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, if you don't have anything good to say, then don't say anything at all. Because the words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Very challenging message for me, I hope for all of us tonight. All right, with that, we will wrap up our study tonight. I'm going to ask Jay, since he had the audacity to disagree with me, to lead us in a closing prayer. All right, let's pray. Dear Father, we humbly approach your throne right now, Lord, thanking you for a time that we've had, we've had tonight. We thank you for your word and the wisdom that you've left us in it, Lord, that we don't have to walk this world, we don't have to live this life without... Uh, a light and a direction that you have given us, Lord, that we can go to this and we can glean from it all the things that we need to live a good life and live a right life with you. Lord, I thank you for the men that were that set up here with me tonight and the wisdom they brought forth and uh, their studies that they uh, conducted, Lord, to bring this tonight. We hope that all of us, the audience included, everybody that were able to listen online tonight, that we were able to benefit from the study, that we were able to be challenged, encouraged, and walking away a little bit closer to you because of it. Lord, I ask you to be with us, if it be your will, to help us throughout this week. Lord, let, us, let our minds always drift to you, our thoughts, our prayers always be going up to you in everything we do. We pray all this through your Son's name. Amen.